So what is that new variant called? Omnicron. That's so stupid. It sounds like a video game character. The United States has no right, no desire, and no intention to impose our form of government on anyone else. No democracy can survive when its public life, its public goods are so privatized and militarized and individualized. So you won't take down lies or you will take down lies? I think it's just a pretty simple yes or no. So we tell a handful of billionaires who become phenomenally richer, yeah, you're going to have to pay more in taxes. So I heard it was discovered, what did you say, South Africa was where they found that? Yeah, so they actually discovered it in South Africa, but it didn't, it didn't originate there. So like there, there's sort of this misconception and the people from South Africa are upset about this, about people like associating the variant with South Africa, acting like, oh, it, it came from there. When in reality, they were just the first ones to detect it. When in reality, it's a Chinese virus. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. It's, it's, a, it's a Chinese virus that came from China. Um, but this is guy, this guy had a, a, an interesting tweet. Um, and, and I'm just going to read it here. Um, once again, the world's media is reporting South Africa has a new COVID variant, as if the variant started here and is infecting us all. Can I say this again more loudly for the idiot journalists at the back? South Africa has one of the most sophisticated and advanced infectious disease infrastructures on the planet. Some of the world's leading epidemiologists work in South Africa. We've had to develop these capabilities to deal with TB and AIDS and other diseases ravaging our continent. It is no surprise that our medical system is the first in the world to identify the new COVID variants. It is no surprise that we led the world in clinical trials of vaccines. What is a surprise is how lazy journalists write headlines. New COVID variant in South Africa. No, this new COVID variant has been found in New Zealand, England, Brazil, France, India, Indonesia, the Philippines, and other places. South African scientists isolated, sequenced, and understood it first. Report that fact. But don't start all over again with putting South Africa is unsafe into people's heads. I don't think that's surprising at all. I think, you know, it doesn't surprise me that like American xenophobia would manifest in such a way that we because I thought it was South African. And obviously, you know, <laughs> I host a, or we co-host a podcast about politics. I consider myself a pretty well-informed person and um you know, but I thought, yeah, South Africa's got a new variant going on, like sucks for them. Um, with of course, you know, a certain degree of compassion, but I think that is not surprising. Like I said, like that, it would be reported that way in the same way that, as I just joked about, like it was seen as like a Chinese virus. Like this is just a further way for global capitalism to make the U S citizens feel like, oh, well, you know, we're safe. Like that stuff is happening in other countries. Like it can't affect us here. Um, with a little mm. dose of hysteria in there as well. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's just, it, it's a way of putting the blame, you know? Like we just saw, like I think yesterday or today, um, the Biden administration announced travel restrictions to, uh, or from South Africa, I should say. So like yeah. people trying to come from South Africa into the United States. Where, whereas the guy, as he mentioned, you know, this has been identified in England, Brazil, Indonesia, France, all these other places. So it's like, okay, are we going to 
do travel restrictions there. Yeah, uh, and I'm not saying, yeah, and I am right, <laughs> and and I'm not saying we should, but you know, acor- according to that that standard. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not someone who likes to engage in alarmism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't find it particularly productive or or useful. So true. But I think it is. I think it is concerning at the very least. Um, the fact that you know you have a lot of countries, especially developing countries like in Africa, that don't have access to to the vaccines, uh, that don't have even access to any of the therapeutics or treatments or anything. And as we know, the way these viruses work is the more they spread, the more they try to survive and they find these pockets where people, you know, don't have immunity to the virus or aren't vaccinated and the virus will change slightly to adapt and it'll change slightly and morph and, you know, figure out a way where it can become more transmissible and more alive and, and infect more people as a result. So, so I do think that we should be cautious about this going forward. I think so too. I think like, but to me, I, I do take issue with, and I'm not saying that you were saying this, but I, I hear the Democrats saying, oh, well, the reason that we're getting these new strains, the reason that, you know, COVID continues to spread, the pandemic isn't over. They love to say that because people aren't typical Democrats. Yeah. Typical. Well, they, and that's the thing that what gets me about all these articles that we've seen about this new variant is like, I think that it really is, and I said this to you earlier, I see it as hysteria fuel. Um, I'm not saying that it's not true, but I'm saying like, it is like a tool that the media uses to glob onto and to say like, look, you still have a reason to be afraid. Like, you know, the world is ending. It's apocalyptic. Like, I think there is very much a lot of that going on, like media hype. Um, I'm not saying the new variant isn't dangerous. I do think I agree with you in that it's something to be concerned about, but Furthermore, like my, my biggest issue is like, yes, people should get vaccinated. I think people in the U S who have access to the vaccine and are just choosing not to get it. I think they should reconsider. I will admit that. And while I have do like still say that, you know, it it is a case of bodily autonomy and people should be able to choose. They shouldn't be like forced. The police shouldn't come to your house and inject you. You should opt to take that vaccine. Now, I do not think that the reason we're still seeing the spread of this virus is because of anti-vaxxers in the U.S. I think that it is because major pharmaceutical corporations, um, including Pfizer, including Moderna, who refuse to give these vaccines to other countries and instead like want to sell them. I think that is where the problem is, because this new variant, if I am understanding correctly, is showing up in Indonesia, France, South Africa. We are not, you know, the vaccine, the American vaccine is not being shared. And that is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a great part of it. Like you really shouldn't be criticizing people in the U S for not getting vaccinated until you, you know, come out in favor of Pfizer and Moderna and these other companies, right? you know, lifting their patents or, you know, taking the patents away and making the making the um, vaccine or the formula to create the vaccine available because there are companies and there is infrastructure in you know some of those other countries where they can they could actually create the vaccine with the same technology 
and start getting their people vaccinated, but they can't because Pfizer has a patent on their vaccine and they're not willing to share it. And so, and they've done estimates. Like if you don't lift the patent protections on those vaccines, like you won't get the rest of the world vaccinated by, and for like a decade, you know? And right. it's like, okay, how many, how many new variants are going to pop up? Exactly. You know? Cause there's exactly. something called, yeah. And there's something called the, uh, the trips waiver. There was an article about this um, last month where basically the trips waiver is the U is those companies giving up their patent productions, the governments of the countries where, where those companies are based, like the U S like the UK, Canada, making them give up their patent productions and sharing the formula with the rest of the world. Um, so far, Germany, the United Kingdom and Canada refused to drop their opposition and faced a growing grassroots pressure. So that's an article from common dreams talking about this subject. Biden has come out in favor of uh, doing the trips waiver, but he hasn't really like, it's not like, yeah, it's not like he's behind the scenes, like talking to the Germans or the UK or Canada, like saying, oh, please do this. He's just like, oh yeah, you know, if if they decide to do it, you know, you know, go, it's like, it's like how the Democrats fight for everything else. You know, they say, oh yeah, I'm in favor of it. And you know, now I'm just going to go, you know, take a nap on the couch. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, look, with this new variant, this Omicron variant, if I'm pronouncing it even correctly, hopefully this will spook the U.S. to be more aggressive and hopefully it'll spook the rest of these countries and make them understand, like, hey, if you don't stop putting profits above people's lives for once, like we just need to do this, this one time. <laughs> one time. Um, the biggest continue- medical global catastrophe we have ever witnessed. Just do it one yeah. time. You're going to have these pockets that keep coming up and you're going to have these new variants that keep rendering the vaccines useless at a, at a certain point. I mean, we don't know all the facts now as of when we're, we're recording this of, you know, if the vaccines are still going to work, if any of the treatments are still going to work or, or how well they're going to work. But I mean, eventually we're going to get to the point where like the vaccines we're all getting now and the boosters we're all getting, like I just got my booster last weekend. It's not even going to matter because you're going to have these new variants that pop up all around the world. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And, and you know, this is very typical of, you know, the United States sort of health policy is to put profits over people. And we've seen that time and time again in this country. So we really shouldn't be so surprised. But it's just to me, you know, I think it's blatantly obvious that like there is like a right and a wrong in this situation and by protecting, you know, corporate dollars over human lives, it's, you know, and I think this is so typical of the U S just like I was just saying, like, I think people in this country, we witness, or we hear about through the news, like something going on in another country. And we're just like, Oh, that sucks for them. Like, that's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember at the very beginning of the pandemic, um, back in March when Italy was going into lockdown, um, talking with people or arguing with people on Twitter. And I, I don't know why I was doing this. I guess I was just <laughs> bored. But um, some guy was like, you know, I, I was I was talking to this guy about like, hey, it's in it's, it's in Italy. You know, it's, it's going to come to the United States. And he's like, I, I don't care about Italy. I only care about America. And it's just like this, like, d- dumb, nationalistic, like, 
knee-jerk response to anything like oh it's happening in that country it doesn't it doesn't affect it doesn't affect me or doesn't affect anything i'm doing um now we're really seeing for the first time um in our lifetimes i think is like there are certain things that are that are inescapable you know yeah like you can't just say oh this is happening in the developed world and you know sucks for them, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go about my life and I'm going to go to the coffee shop or I'm going to go to, go to class to do, do whatever things I do, because here things are normal. Things are fine here. Mm-hmm. Everything's just hunky dory. And I know that like, I know that's not even true, even under somewhat no, quote unquote normal stances, but like, like we've gotten to the point now where like, even if you're in the upper class, even if you're you know, like living in the suburbs and you're disaffected by a lot of the nominal issues that, um, you know, affect working people and black and brown people. Like even you're affected by this now. So hopefully it'll, it'll make people wake up a little bit and get a little, get a little introspection. Yeah, I think so too. And speaking of things that are going on in other countries that are going to affect us, um, You sent me this story from The Guardian, our neighbors to the north. Headline is outrage over two or after two journalists detained at indigenous protests in Canada. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? This is from The Guardian. Outrage after two journalists detained at indigenous protest in Canada. So basically what had happened was you had these um, two journalists, uh, two members of the press who had their press credentials and, and all that good stuff, two members of the media, who were covering this um, indigenous um, protest over this um, pipeline that I believe was supposed to be built. Um, and they were basically going through the, this um, land that was you know, territory of, of these indigenous people in, in Canada. And I mean, you know, if you live in the United States, this isn't the first time this has happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also happened in Canada. There's been insane stories there about how, like, they've discovered bodies of, like, indigenous children that were buried, like, oh my gosh, decades ago, you know. Um, and basically, these indigenous people were um, fighting for, you know, having control of their land. And the police came in. Yeah, so I guess, like, there was... Um these protests were taking place over the 670 kilometer coastal gas link pipeline. And so that was a natural gas pipeline and it would have gone right through the territory of the, I'm probably going to butcher this, um, but Wet'suwet'en people's territory. And so what had happened was these, these uh, two journalists came out, Amber Bracken and Michael Tolandio. And they, they were just, you know, reporting on the situation, like letting Canadians know about like the protests and the police came and arrested them and held them for, it sounds like three days, according to this guardian article. And to me, I think that that is ridiculous. What gets me about this article from the guardian is in recent months during a separate blockade against old growth forest logging, police responded by ripping off protesters masks to pepper spray them and dragging them by their hair. I think this is ridiculous. And it like the most disturbing thing to me about the story. I mean, you've got a couple different components here. You've got police brutality. You've got obviously, you know, this colonialist aspect, you know, just trampeding across native land with no respect for 
um, the people who were here long before Europeans. But the biggest thing is that these were journalists that were just trying to cover the story. So by imprisoning the journalists who are just trying to get the word out and get coverage of this, you are restricting freedom of the press. And I think that might be, I mean, aside from the colonialist aspect, that may be the biggest offense to me from this story. Yeah, for sure. And I think it really shows like who the police are protecting in this, in this particular scenario and how they are protecting those, you know, colonial interests over the, the interests of indigenous people. But yeah, like you said, the journalists, not, I mean, arresting journalists and not, not allowing them to report on something, um, totally restricting freedom of the press. And it makes you think like, okay, if they're doing this to the journalists who are reporting, you know, right. who are they're not even obviously, protesting. yeah, like they're, who, who also like have close access to the outlets they're affiliated with. So they're obviously going to talk about this. Like, like, what are they doing to these indigenous people? Absolutely. You know, specifically when the cameras aren't on them. Yeah. No, so, frankly, yeah, it's, it's, wild. it's a cover up. It's a cover up because if you, if you're not even going to allow people to report on like, Hey, like this is the situation because ideally, you know, reporting should be unbiased. And I'm sure like their coverage was probably something like, Oh yeah, there's this pipeline going in. Here's this protest going on about it. So if you're covering that up, maybe it's because you know that something is wrong and they feel threatened by the protests. And I think, you know, it's like we've seen again and again, like over the course of history, protests are effective. And oh, yeah. I think it's very possible that they felt threatened. Like, oh man, like if people know that this is even going on, we can't quietly put this natural gas pipeline down, then more people are going to come out and protest and we won't be able to make money. Because again, as we've said again and again here, nothing left. It always comes back to the money, man. It's money over people. All the time. And this isn't even an American story, but like you said, like this kind of thing has happened here too, but you know, the blatant disregard for indigenous rights is astounding. Yeah. It's wild. It's crazy too. Like when you read about the history just here in the United States, like with the Dawes act and the Indian removal act and assimilation, how native Americans were literally kicked off their land in Georgia, told to march the trail of tears to Oklahoma um, and then they, and then they kicked them off that land when they discovered oil. It's just insane. It's ridiculous. And it does really get at like the power structure that's at play here. It reminds me of how some of the first police forces in the United States actually started as little private, little private like mercenaries, basically. So you would have these you would have these elites who would run these towns or municipalities like like George Pullman in Chicago. Um, and they would hire these like mercenary security forces to basically put down strikers or put down workers who are going on strike in the, in the city, you know, and they would shoot at them or they would, you know, do something to provoke them and, and cause a riot. And then they would use that to like justify throwing them in prison. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's a continuation of, I think, I think all of those things. And I hope, I hope that more people just are able to see, you know, what, what's really going on here and see who the, the police and, and the Canadian government, quite frankly, um, in this case is, is looking out for. And it's not, it's certainly not the rights of indigenous people. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, you know, to, to segue into another thing that we wanted to talk about today, there was, and you guys have probably heard about this, um, like in the same vein of marginalized groups, just being abused. I couldn't even believe this story. Um, Lauren Bobert, I think, or I, I don't know how else you would pronounce that Bobert. Yeah. She's <laughs> um, one of your, uh, Congress. People I know out here in Colorado. Colorado. Uh, so I did actually register to vote, um, yesterday. <laughs> so cool. she will not be getting my vote. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. And in, in the next, She's probably you're probably not even in your district. Yeah, that's probably true. Cause she, she's a Congresswoman. She's not a Senator. Mm-hmm. Um, but so there's this, I'm looking at this article from mother Jones, which obviously is like a very left leaning news site, but I think, you know, this is a quote, so you could look and get this information from anywhere, but she said, Bobert says she and Omar were sharing an elevator in the Capitol when a police officer ran toward them. I looked to my left and there she is Ilhan Omar. I said, well, she doesn't have a backpack. We should be fine. Mm. Yeah. 2021. Yeah. Um, and apparently this really started after Lauren Bobert was talking on the house floor and she referred to, um, Oh, what did she call her? She called jihad her like, squad. Yeah. The jihad squad. She was like, um, Oh, the member of the jihad squad from Minnesota. Um, she was funneling campaign funds to her husband. Uh, not the husband that, or not, not, um, not her brother husband, but her husband. There's this, there's this insane conspiracy theory. On yeah, the that, that she married her brother. I've heard that, that she one married before. her brother. There's no evidence for this. There's like, yeah. So what is it that Ilhan no Omar, in order to gain access to the, the United States, married, like, did a fake marriage and quote unquote, like, married her brother so that she could get yeah. like, a visa? Is that what it is? Yeah, they're saying like the guy she married in Somalia, where she came from um was actually her brother and that's how like she got access to the united states it wasn't her brother though it was just it was just a guy (laughs) like and they've looked into it they've like looked into like her family history and it's it's not her brother but but that's what they they like they they love to say that and it's just it's just amazing i think because here you have a lady lauren bobert who's constantly running defense for the January 6th insurrectionists oh, yeah. who actually did terrorism. Just if you look at the basic definition of, of terrorism, violence for a political reason, I think that constitutes as that, you know, accusing Ilhan Omar of being a jihadist essentially, or, or being a, a, terrorist, a terrorist, you know, like, Oh, thank God she doesn't have a backpack. When literally Ilhan Omar was in a refugee camp in Somalia after being targeted by actual jihadists, like they're not, not every Muslim is a jihadist. No, <laughs> you know, in fact, most, most of them, yeah, most most aren't. Of them. And, it, and it's, if, if you look at, if, if you were, were to ask a jihadist, like, Hey, who do you think is like, who's your main target? Who's, you know, the, the biggest threat to you. They always say like, Oh, it's um other Muslims. Like it's, it's more moderate Muslims who, wow aren't jihadists because they believe, oh, they're not following Islam or the Quran to a T like I am. So they're actually more threatening. So what they would do is they would, you know, capture people like Ilan Omar. And that's what happened with her. That's why she was in that refugee camp. And it's it's just crazy. Like she was actually the target of 
those terrorists that she's talking about. So that even makes it that much more offensive. And like the thing about it, Nick, I think, you know, in my life here in uh, Colorado, which is where I am right now, I feel like I am more susceptible to threat like, you know, and speaking moderately here, like on a daily basis by Christians than by Muslim people, because out here in like Colorado Springs is like the home of like evangelicals. Like I get walked up to and people will be like, Hey, like, let's talk about Jesus. And you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk to people. I'll talk about Jesus. I'll talk to people about the Quran, but we don't have that many of those. And like, I don't know where, where we're from, where we went to college, there were plenty of Muslim people and you know, they're just like you and I, and like, I just, it makes me sick because like ever since nine 11, I think there's been this idea that like Muslim people are terrorists. And even like, I don't know if you remember Barack Obama saying, I feel like I remember watching this live. Like he did like some speech or something. And he, in response to some kind of discussion of terrorism that was going on nationally, he goes, we need our Muslim uh, neighbors to look out and be the eyes and ears. Do you remember Obama saying that? Yes. No, but that seems right up his alley. Yeah, because, and that's the thing is like, it's this idea that like Muslim people are somehow dangerous. And it's just crazy to go back to my like Christian comparison. Like, you need to be our eyes. If you look at like Muslim people, like they just, they believe a different set of beliefs thing. And I compare them to Christians because Christian is obviously like the majority religion. They pray a different way. They believe a different book, but they go about their lives in the same way that Christian people do, or, you know, non-religious or, you know, spiritual people do. They we're all just going about our lives. Christian people, the evangelicals are the ones that are going to accost you. The Jehovah's witnesses that are going to come to your house. And I'm not comparing that to terrorism, but I'm saying like, (laughs) <laughs> My point is the Christians are having a bigger impact on your day-to-day life than Muslim people ever will. Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine if like in the Pledge of Allegiance, it said um, it mentioned Allah instead of God, right. which is just, you know, Islam for God, but or Arabic for God. Um, but like you see others like in God, we trust on the money um, in the and in, in the House of Representatives, like there's all these like little little aspects of Christianity sprinkled in into the government of the United States, simply because the overwhelming majority of people here are Christian. So this idea that like, oh, you know, we need to be worried about a religious sect and imposing its its views on our on our right. secular, you know, church and state separate church and state government. Um, yeah, the people doing that are Christians. Yeah. But yeah, my point, exactly. My point, exactly. And it's just, it's a shame to me because we, this affects Muslim people. Like when Lauren Boebert gets away with saying things like jihad squad, like that is so blatantly like that's reprehensible. And that affects people, um, like Muslim people who wear like the hijab, like that are visibly Muslim. Like they get looked at a different way when we normalize this type of behavior, acting like all Muslim people are terrorists. Yeah, it really is just like, it's just the worst of the worst. It's like Nat IQ shit. Like, think of like your your racist uncle at Thanksgiving. Like, oh, actually that, like Lauren Bobart, a member of the House of Representatives, is saying like the same thing that he would say. Yes. Um, it's crazy. Elected. I know. It's funny too. I was reading about, I was reading a little bit about her. Apparently, um, she didn't graduate high school. Um, she really? got her GED. She got her GED right before she ran for Congress. 
She doesn't so have thinking, a degree? No. Like a, a college DED. degree? Oh, no. No, no. <laughs> Which I think kind of speaks to, you know, just the, just like the closed-mindedness. Because, I mean, you, and we've talked about this before, like, like, if you just grow up in, like, a 90-plus percent white suburb, and you never see anyone who, like, looks different than you or thinks or acts different than you, like, you're going to kind of develop a certain, you know, archetype of the world and, like, what people should look like. Yeah. And I think she's just, like, an example of, like, someone who didn't go to college and, like, us see different people and understand that they're actually that it's fine people are different and it's fine right um there are people um but she had uh ilhan omar had a pretty good uh response to this so she tweeted luckily my dad raised me right otherwise i might have gone to the floor to talk about this insurrectionist who sleeps with a pervert talking about her husband i'll get to this husband a a pervert well, uh, I'll get to this in a sec. I'm grateful I was raised to be a decent human and not depri- and not a deprived person who shamefully de- defecates and defiles the House of Representatives. So she, yeah, what she's talking about there with the pervert comment is um, apparently her husband. So this is from, I believe, Newsweek. But this came out. This came out a few months ago, talking about her husband Jason Bober pled guilty to public indecency and lewd exposure. Uh, according to the New York Times, and was sentenced to four days in jail with a subsequent uh, two-year probation. So in January 2004, when Jason Bobert was 24, he was arrested for exposing himself to two young women at a Colorado bowling alley. Oh my His future God. wife... <laughs> his future wife... bowling alley. I know, of all places. His future wife, Lauren Bobert, as she was known then, or, oh, Lauren Roberts, as she was known then, who was 17 at the time, was also present and was told she was no longer welcome at the bowling alley. Um, so he was arrested, and I guess she was no longer welcome. Um, ooh, that's a big age difference, 17 and 24. Yeah. Seven-year difference. Hmm. Um, yeah, but that's what she's talking about, referring to her husband as pervert. God, yeah, it's just, it's so stupid, though. I mean, these clowns, like, they need to get voted out. <laughs> they need to get primaried or, or something because, I mean, these people just, they're not good for anything. They just slow things down. They make things <laughs> harder. They make it worse. And they sprinkle in a, a, a little big, bit of bigotry and xenophobia along with it. Yeah. And, you know, it's not to say, like, just because she has a GED, I want to clarify, I don't think you know, that you should have to have a college degree to run for office. I do think it's typical, which is why I was surprised, but you know, it goes back to what Nick was saying. Like, I think, you know, you go to college and you're just exposed to different people. And then you can see, Oh, black people are just like me. Muslim people are just like me. Like they just live their lives like a little bit differently, their personal lives. Um, Muslim people do. And I think, and I'm speaking of their religious lives, of course. And I think like getting an education or at least like getting out in the world is so important. So you can just see, Oh, different doesn't mean bad. And like, yeah, I, I just want to say, <laughs> I want to say on the record that like, if my husband ever did something like that, while I was like, I had like a political career planned, I would be pissed like that exposed himself at a bowling alley uh, like at a bowling alley of all places that's what gets me about that story like damn i know (laughs) it's 
pretty sexy area. I can what the not, yeah. What Always the, the best people at the bowling alley. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, it's it's bizarre. Um, I yeah, I I would say too, like just with the whole college thing. I think for me, like taking prereqs, like prerequisite classes, mm-hmm. um, that was a super fun part for me, and and was a part of my development that really helped me with that in terms of just like understanding different perspectives and understanding yeah. different people. Like I remember when I took sociology 101 or psych philosophy class or English class, like reading these short stories, like it was fun. It was fun to just like hear different things, um, talk with different people. And I, I think that that's so important in a person's development because like high school, your K through 12 education, like that's one thing, but like, it's, it's all like the people you grew up with. Like it's all the people living in your, your little niche community. Yeah. Like when you go to college, then it's, then it's a little different it's from people. It's people who are from all over the place. And I think that that really helps, um, giving people who have that exposure actually access to the, or, or just, just access to the fact that people are different and there's different things out there. Yeah. And I think that like really ties back to like all the stories that we talked about today, like people in South Africa, Indonesia, France, Muslim people and indigenous people, like that's what ties us all together is our humanity and not to sound like a bleeding heart or anything, but it, it just seems to me like not to pat ourselves on the back, but I don't understand why I am under the impression that people on the left seem to have a greater grasp of our common humanity than Republicans who are not even Republican, anybody on the right, or even like some of the moderate Democrats who just want to like divide people into like, oh, well, you know, they're poor. Oh, they're from another country. So it doesn't affect me. Oh, they're, you know, indigenous Canadians doesn't affect me. Why do leftists seem to have such a better grasp of that than these other political groups? I mean, I mean, I think, I think a lot of it would just have to do with the fact that you've you've maybe had direct experience with something or you've seen people who have, who have had direct experience with something. I know for a lot of, yeah, I know for a lot of conservatives, it's very hard for them to view the world outside of their own life, outside of their own existence. And, and it's not just, it's not necessarily just conservatives. It's even like well-to-do Democrats who are like, who are, who are like, oh, I don't think universal health care should be a thing. Or I don't know if I agree with free college or, or forgiving student loan debt. It's like, well, yeah, because you've never needed it, you know, yeah. or you haven't seen what it looks like when, you know, someone doesn't have access to the medical care that they need. So I think it has to do with that. Like, I know for me, like I've worked in schools where kids live at or below the poverty line. And I've, I've seen what it, lo- what it looks like. Like, there's no way that I can't empathize with that and try to make that better you know whereas if you're someone who's never seen that and everything's just kind of on the up and up with you you know it's just like well i'm good you know yeah what's the big deal so i think having and that might be that might be part of the reason why people who come out of college tend to be more on the left is because they have they have access to some of those things versus people who don't um they don't and they just sort of not to sound like condescending but they just kind of stay in their bubble you know and they don't really yeah. 
look at the world outside outside of their own experience. We need to, um, or else we're never going to stop this pandemic. And to these pharmaceutical companies, and I don't think any of them are probably listening, but <laughs> if they were, I would tell them, like, hey, if you don't give up your patents and help vaccinate the world, um, eventually you're not even going to have any people to, you know, to take your vaccines, you know? So think about that. All right. And I guess with that said, there's nothing left. 